0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philadelphia get together to talk about all things movies. And as listeners had known, uh, over the past several weeks, we've been discussing romance movies. Uh, We've been getting into kind of the the nitty-gritty of what we think constitutes a romance film, and... uh, this week we'll have my version of that, which I'm very excited to talk about. But before we get to all of that, how's everybody doing? Uh what's new? And has anybody seen anything really cool that they would like to plug or talk about?
1: I am almost caught up on East Town. I believe I mentioned that.
0: Oh yeah, do yeah, dude. That's a really good one, man. We that's all talk about like with here.
1: The hoagies and the homes and the prezzles and the 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 birds. Yeah. Everyone's their own cousin. Um, yeah. I really enjoy Mare of Easttown. I've watched, as of this recording, um, six episodes. The seventh one just came out. So very excited to watch the finale. Um, I think it's a great show. I love this renaissance of miniseries because I don't have to be invested in four seasons of a show just to get disappointed at the end or 15, Sam. So it's wow. great that like you get one season, you get some great actors, tell a great story, and then you're done. So I would highly, so far, recommend Mare of Easttown. Without seeing the finale, which is on uh, Kate Winslet's show on HBO,
0: also a uh, very good friends of mine and friends of the pod, a band called Mannequin Pussy uh, has several songs that are featured in that series. Uh, so good on them; they're they're doing great, and uh, it's it's really good to hear that they're doing well. They just released a new EP called Controls, so check it out.
2: Here's hoping that Kate Winslet in the the very last final episode. Um, Whenever, you know, she's in the midst of figuring whatever out. I have no idea what the show's about. Um, <laughs> she doesn't somehow get pushed into a very large, big nail and then dies. Um, because that would be a really big bummer. Like other shows that have ended recently after 15 years. And, you know, you, you just feel a lot of pain and, and anguish. And and there's nowhere for you to put that. There's just nowhere for you to put that. So I'm I'm wishing that Kate Winslet survives this. No nails in sight.
0: I miss Can I something? ask yeah.
3: what, uh, <laughs> to what you refer, Sam?
2: <laughs> so when Connor was like, oh, like eight, 10, 15 years. So Supernatural was on for 15 years. Uh, and, um, I don't fucking care if I'm spoiling literally anything for anybody because just forget that this, that the show even ended this way. But one of the main characters dies by, Getting shoved into a nail, and then we have to watch forty years of the other guy living out the rest of his life to only die in like this stupid ass wig. Anyway, like, how big is this nail? Are we
3: talking died of tetanus, or are we ty- like di- talking died of like a stake driven through their body? Okay, so we're talking so, about like ten inches.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, big a nine nail. Inch nail, if you will. Ni-
2: yeah. I missed it. <laughs> it was right there. The lowest. Ten <laughs> it was like it was. Nails. It was here. <laughs>
3: Anyway. Oh, died by not. Yeah. Okay, anyhow. We're
1: already off to a great start. That's wow. how I want to go.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Just watch that last episode of Supernatural and you'll you'll <laughs> you'll feel that pain. I promise you.
0: Well, damn. Uh, have you seen anything you liked recently, Sam?
2: <laughs> you know what? Um other than the, well, I well, I didn't like that, so um <laughs> Rather than like watching actual like actual like things that matter, you know, like movies or or miniseries, things like that. I've been like watching a lot of true crime stuff on YouTube, and um, <laughs> two of the things that I've been thinking about, literally almost nonstop. Uh, actually, I'll just talk about one is the and I apologize because I already mentioned this before to some folks, the Wendy's finger chili scandal. Um, do yourself a favor, look into that. There's a lot there. Um, haven't been able to stop thinking about it. This was a couple of days ago that I watched it. So um, that's what I've been doing with my time. Is it useful? No. Is it keeping me from thinking about how terrible life is? Yes. So what really matters? The finger in the bowl of chili, clearly. You know what? At the end, it didn't matter.
3: Mm. Um. This movie doesn't fe- feature any fingers in Chile, but um, it has some pretty like intense violence. Sudden. Uh, I watched this movie called The Limey by Steven Soderbergh, a movie I had never heard of before, but it's a it's a pretty strong recommend for me. Um, it stars Terrence Stamp the only other movie i've seen him in is as one of the space like it's kind of like an intergalactic space villain from superman 2 3 maybe of the originals um and he looks very different in this he plays this british guy this english guy who's uh just released from prison and is avenging the death of his daughter by the hand of or death of the daughter at the hand of this guy Terry Valentine, played by Peter Fonda. So Peter Fonda is this like icky um, uh, organized crime boss in LA, and Peter or uh, Terrence Stamp's character Wilson comes to LA to kill him. And it's that's pretty much it. That's the plot. And it, there's not many twists and turns, but it's like early Soderbergh, so it's very stylized, and uh, the colors are great, like lots of sunsets, LA sunsets, and waves crashing on the ocean Peter Fonda looking gross but like just perfectly gross for the role um I, I would recommend it nice I did a poster. quick uh,
1: google of it and what a cool poster it sounds yes. like a cool movie and Actually, Soderbergh someone we recently talked about with Logan Lucky
3: yeah also he lied Logan Lucky was supposed to be his like last movie he's coming out with a new movie mm. <laughs> people do that Out of retirement, into retirement, straddling the line of retirement. Sorry, Sam.
2: No, I'd rather us hear and envision the straddling the the, the line of retirement.
0: Well, folks, speaking of straddling, we are discussing a doozy of a film this week. Now, this is rounding out our romance theme, which um, if you've been listening, you probably have Have been clued into the fact that I am normally pretty uh, critical of of romance movies and find them to be uh, often pretty archetypal and tedious.
3: Uh, Okay, I'm so sorry to pause you right there.
0: I feel like this is
3: another example of Dave takes on entire genre and dismisses it.
0: Oh, big time! (laughs) Heist
3: movies, romance
0: movies,
3: (laughs) whodunits. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep There's probably
0: more I could think of if I give it some time, but I'm sure I'll dismiss other things in the future as well. Although I have had fun talking about the movies we've talked to up to now, and I'm sure we'll have a good time talking about this one, because this one, uh, I suppose, uh, only barely clings to the notion of, uh, and the theme of romance, uh, or or, or not. I mean, it is a, so, something of a rom com, but is also at times a slasher movie, is also at times uh, a full blown 80s action movie and covers a lot of ground and is pretty insane. um And also one that I consider part of like an untouched 80s and 90s gems trifecta, which we'll be covering toward the end of the episode. But that, of course, is 1987's My Demon Lover. That is a Charlie Leventhal movie written by Leslie Ray, it stars Scott Valentine, Michelle Little, Robert. Uh, Trebor and others Um, for those who don't know this movie, because it seems as though up until recently, a lot of people didn't Uh, it's recently gotten actually a lot of traction through different podcasts, uh, which is really exciting for me because I've been a fan of it for a little while. Uh, A synopsis would be as follows. And that is that Denny a young woman living in New York city just keeps striking out with men. That is until she meets Kaz, a frisky street busker with a strange curse. He becomes a hideous demon anytime he's aroused. Together, they work through their relationship in this comic romp featuring crazy creature effects, loads of sexual innuendo, uh, a monstrous slasher out on the streets, and an extremely of-era soundtrack, all of which come together into a pretty insane, captivating movie, in my opinion. But uh, I would like to hear everyone else's opinion. I know this to be the first time everyone else has seen this movie, so going around the horn before we dive into uh the nuts and bolts of my demon lover how was everyone's first experience with this movie and what were your your big
1: takeaways i was uncertain at first in the first like 10 15 minutes of what this movie was gonna be what the tone was Uh, so is the
0: movie to be fair
1: (laughs) we've talked a lot about uh, red letter media on this channel we hate movies and a lot of times you know people that talk about bad movies or older movies just don't you know, this My Demon Lover delivers on everything that I love about older, weird movies. Like, I fucking love this movie. This has maybe entered my top 15 favorite movies of all time. Oh, um, wow. Nice. I, you know, life is busy. And this was a movie that, like, stopped me dead in my tracks. And, like, everything else I have doesn't matter. I got to focus on what My Demon Lover uh, is putting in front of me.
0: It's a pretty ringing endorsement so okay. far. Great. Okay, Connor. Thank you. Uh, Christine and Sam, any thoughts on your first takeaway from my demon lover?
3: Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was like all of the elements of a, of a well-paced rom-com, like an effective meet cute, a fun time montage of New York, uh, great like outfits and energetic cast and performances all wrapped up in like a horrifying fever dream, but like one that's like, fun and bizarre to watch so yeah i i it was it was definitely a a fun ride
0: yeah sounds pretty in league with what how i feel about it sam also your first time
2: yeah i actually hate how much i liked this movie (laughs) 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 um similar to connor i it had to win me over i watched this with um one of my roommates and at first like the first 10 minutes we were like I'm not feeling this I don't like the tone that this is setting up and then it some something transitioned where I started like putting my when I like really laugh about something I just like put my head in my hands and I just like weep cry and I was literally doing that throughout this movie so it did something right at the very least making me laugh also um the previous night we had watched shrek and (laughs) weirdly there are some similar things between (laughs) shrek and my demon lover so that was fun for us
0: well you know what yeah kind of shape-shifting romantic figures yeah i could
1: see that well i think this movie for such a low budget looks really good at times and maybe purposely terrible it's just (laughs) it felt like this rare movie where I don't know, like they knew that they were making something really weird and and potentially bad and just leaned into it. Um, Which, as somebody who's, you know, watched a lot about like different older movies, this just felt like the rare gem you find where they kind of knew what they were making and leaned into it.
3: It made me intrigued by the director, uh, Charlie Loventhal. Uh, I haven't seen any of his other movies, but what I was reading about him, I was intrigued to watch something, uh, another work of his, because yeah, I totally agree with Connor that the way the the New York City street scenes, um, the mm. interior like apartment scenes, it it matched the tone of a fun rom com. Uh, nothing was too like too stylized or anything like that. But it shot so well, it made you want to be in every scene except you know in like the horrifying scenes. But um, like, yeah, a lot of the, the shots were so well, ex- like so um, successfully executed that it was like, oh, this is in the hands of a really skilled director. But yeah, as Connor said, like the moments where it's like, what the fuck, the, you know that the director like is driving home the ridiculousness of, of particular situations
2: um something that i adored is um so dave you mentioned that the one of the the, the main characters anytime he gets aroused he like becomes a monster and he mm-hmm. looks different almost every mm-hmm. single time and, and that just like sent me to a different stratosphere every time it was happening because like you never knew what you were getting and it took me like a like a minute to understand like that was part of the joke but once once i was in i was like oh thank god this is incredible
1: this also reminded me a lot of i come from a yeah you know, as i mentioned a big theater background improv background there are so many specific things that happen in this movie i can't think of a better way to describe it but i think one that sums it up is birthday candles and pizza <laughs> yes <laughs> there are just that's like there are so many moments that are like this is so bizarre and so funny and it just happens throughout like 80% of the movie.
0: There are tiny things like that that are definitely like features where like we when we first see uh Danny kind of defeated and frustrated about her her experiences with men, she's drinking this wine glass and at the bottom of the wine glass is this like soaked napkin that is like hung on the bottom of the wine glass and then it comes back again <laughs> later on. There are also characters that are like straight up just like tangential side characters to the point that they're like living Muppets in this movie. The like
3: Health Food The Health guy. Food
0: sequence, yeah, where it's like this guy that's drink eating this health quote unquote health food in the 1980s joke interpretation of health food, which is basically gruel, this gray substance, and eats it and dies. And then or or passes out at least and is carried out in part of a scene transition. There's another scene where um Denny is coming home and encounters a man sitting on her porch is just like a drunken like he looks like a Muppet, just saying, like, hey, you remind me of my wife. And she kind of thanks him and he she walks away and she goes, That bitch. And then and then we never see that character ever again.
3: It's great. It's it's setting up a really lived in universe. And yeah, it's very was,
0: New York. It it's was a very it's a, New York movie. It was
3: very New York at the same time, the same level of detail that like a filmmaker who clearly loves their city is the the details that they're going to capture it. Like this movie captures those mundane, realistic details, but then ramps it up to another level of like building like a parallel, slightly off kilter universe. That's in some way believable, but at the same time, you're like, wait, what is going on? They're demons. They're Romanian curses. (laughs) Like all of this shit that like is so not grounded in reality yet the way that the story, story unfolds and all the settings unfold those little like what you're calling dave like muppet characters (laughs) kind of make the believability of this alternate reality and this sort of like fantastical horror universe as well but that feels very lived in and very real like like oh this is just gritty new york but like in horror world
1: (laughs) that this movie reminded me a lot of the Warriors. You're mm, seeing yeah, bringing see up that. of like a, a a weird lived in alternate New York City kind of world. Um, I don't know how far I can take that I thought of the Warriors and my Demon Lover, but there definitely felt some similarities between the two.
0: Yeah, that kind of tracks in an interesting and strange, undefinable way. But yeah, yeah, I think you're on something there. I mean, as far as the movie plays out, uh, well, first it's important to acknowledge that this was a New Line Cinema release. And that in 1987, which for New Line Cinema meant that they were relatively new, but really uh, really coming into their own and really becoming established production company, who was then wholly indebted to Robert Shea, uh, the producer of this movie, and also the producer and uh, the the uh, production company owes just as much to the series, uh, Night- the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which is important to keep in your back pocket because, I mean, there are tons of over-the-top uh m- Makeup effects. There's a lot of practical effects that are really pronounced, and a lot of like horror being injected into this rom com, but horror that is so uniquely and distinctly a product of the 1980s. So, I mean, we we basically roll out the movie with uh, "Let Go" by The Intimate Strangers, aka Bad Genesis, as I've called them. Well, uh,
3: up. That song is Amazing. I, I Well, it's also been stuck in my the head all week. on YouTube week. and I was like playing it on repeat and looked at all the comments section they're like my demon lover sent me here, my demon lover yes. sent me here and I was like this song is a gem.
0: It's yeah. inseparable the ba na na ba and you know exactly what decade you're in. Um, but basically we meet we meet Denny who um is sort of this Unfortunately, kind of this doormat figure. Um, she's she's, you know, taken advantage of by men and and taken advantage of to the degree that like when we first see her, she's walking down the street and is very happy carrying groceries. But a dog steals one of her grocery bags, so like she can't even catch a break among stray dogs <laughs> to the to, to that degree. And we come to know a lot about her that um, she's really frustrated with uh, failed relationships, especially when we see the end of her relationship at the beginning of the movie which is uh her boyfriend chip and his friends stealing all of her
3: things it's so bizarre (laughs) it was like not even just a breakup he's not he's not just like an asshole he literally takes all the furniture from her apartment
0: (laughs) and it's on what we find out is her birthday (laughs) so yeah she just really can't seem to catch a break she has this friend sonia who is uh, a little bit more confident and a little more self-assured, especially in her dealings with men. Uh, but she has her feelings about men as well. Like she, she's very blunt with Denny about her problem. With one of my favorite movie lines ever, which is, "Okay, let's face facts. You're attracted to scum." Which is an amazing line. She's also got a couple great ones when they're at a bar talking about uh, Denny's problems with men, which is um, describing men. Sonia says, it's not like you can be friends with one. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a guy, especially when the Flintstones is on? No, I'm not saying they don't have their uses. Wink.
1: <laughs> what, what a whimsical script. Like, what a- <laughs> Like, I don't know, like, what a gift that the screenwriters, screenwriter, screenwriters, screenwriters? Um, screenwriter, yeah. The screenwriter gave to these actors for what could be such a forgettable movie with all these amazing details and one-liners and the performers who really just give it their all. Like, it's it's a tough movie in some ways to talk about because it feels like everyone's firing on all cylinders in, like, the weirdest way possible.
3: Whoa! Well, the screenwriter did Anastasia too, and mm-hmm. The Brave Little troaster.
1: Yep. Whoa! What a Strange resume catalog.
3: But like, like top tier.
0: Yeah. They, they, totally. I mean... <laughs> actually, no. Both <laughs> yes. of
3: those are tragedies, so <laughs> mm. totally maybe like. That's kind of like.
2: Similar to Steven Soderbergh, who did like Aaron Brockovich and then Magic Mike, like very.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or yeah, or uh, George Miller doing uh, Bay Pig in the City and Mad Max Fury Road. Yes! (laughs) Um,
3: From that brain. You know,
0: (laughs) people contain multitudes is is all I'm saying. Uh, Speaking of containing multitudes, though, how do we feel about Danny uh, or Denny, uh, the character that we meet played by Michelle Little? I mean, at least at the beginning of the movie. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that sums it up, huh? <laughs> I
2: mean <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that I particularly cared much about Denny the, the whole time. I think okay. you know, the the other characters were for me the more interesting points, but if she's the vehicle for the viewer, I felt like that was fine enough.
3: Okay. It she, she has it rough and she I wouldn't <laughs> say she um she, she didn't have my sympathy for probably most of the movie probably the whole movie but like I think because at first you're like oh my god this person needs to stand up for themselves and like figure out but they use the movie uses Sonia like her her friend and then ultimately like the best character in the movie yes as like a great counterpoint because there's yeah in the bar scene Sonia basically articulates everything that the viewer is thinking up until that point. Like Mm -hmm. Denny, get your shit together. You're attracted to scum. (laughs) You need to like get your life in order and recognize like who, who the people like that you're bringing into your life are. Um, And Denny's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so it was nice to have a character and like a female character be like articulating a lot of the things that were going on in my mind. Um, And so I think at that point, that was when I could like lean into the movie and be like, let's go on this ride. It's It's like already kind of addressing some questions I had about the movie. Let's just like take flight and go on this wild demon ride. I will say I read that Denny was supposed, or like initially Meg Ryan was possibly... In the running for playing this role.
0: I'd never heard that. That's Maybe, crazy. <laughs>
3: like, listeners, fact check me. I, I was doing a little digging about the movie and some stuff that I think people involved in the production had said. And I could see like similarities in Denny's energy and like a Meg Ryan. I was like, I want to see like the universes of you've got you've got male and my demon lover. For a brief moment, merging like if we see Tom Hanks in like Fox Books in the background, being like, "Oh, like the universes come collide." I could definitely see similarities in that rom-com energy and what the the uh, performer who who was playing Denny. I can't. I Michelle Little. Name. Michelle Little. Yeah, I could definitely see.
0: Overlots. I mean, I think she does a good job. I think she does a good job with kind of a nothing character, but she. When when the character is written to be funny, she does a good job of being comedic. She's a good comedic actress in terms of suiting the role that is perhaps undeveloped beyond its its comedy. But uh, I think in that regard, she kind of knocks it out of the park. Actually,
1: the the moment where um, Kaz, who is the demon lover, we're <clears> about <throat> to get to Kaz. Yeah, confronts yeah. her at the healthy restaurant, mm-hmm. and she has this whole monologue about what this like vegan burger is because it's Mm. not me he steals the burger off her plate and i don't know just like the timing and the way she delivered it and when she also says i'm a woman of the 80s i can fight in armed conflict like there's moments where i think she really uh little really shines in this role
3: and it's a super energetic performance like she's Mm -hmm. moving at all times and i think yeah like as you said dave like she hits comedic beats really well and like like we're gonna talk about Kaz, like he's on like a hundred percent the entire movie, and I think that like establishing her character is pretty high energy it makes it somewhat um believable that they would have chemistry. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, she's going to need, need, need to be able to keep up with uh, Scott Valentine as Kaz. And our introduction to Scott Valentine as Kaz, by the way, is on the subway. Um, he, he's busking with a saxophone and claiming to be from Venus, where their love language is alto saxophone riffing. He's filthy. He's unkempt. He's unhinged. He's wearing this red blazer that is is filthy. He seems to be kind of on hard times, but... Uh, Seems to have quite a spirit about him. And uh, the one line that I really love is something to the effect as he's explaining that he is a man from Venus or something like that. It's just like, uh, go in peace. Oh, and leave the women. Ha 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 ha. Woo! And then just blares his saxophone. And then we also see him though, going out onto the street and like howling at and grabbing women. (laughs) So right away, like, It's a pretty strange introduction to our male lead in a romantic comedy. How how do we feel about our introduction to Kaz?
2: I mean, I I think that's why it took me a minute to, like, warm up to this movie, because I thought... Yeah, I'll bet. (laughs) Absolutely disgusting, particularly when he's like out on the street and, you know, he has the run in with the fixer and then he just keeps saying over and over again. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. everywhere. (laughs) And I was just like, this is fucking disgusting. (laughs) He won me over. I did say repeatedly throughout the movie. I am once again asking you to take a shower. But you know what? (laughs) You kind of get over it. Yeah, it's his introduction is pretty
3: rough. Um, But I think that, I think, like, just as the movie introduces this bizarre love, like, love narrative, Mm -hmm. it, like, revels in subverting one's expectations of who this character is going to become over the course of the movie. Like, I think that having him just be this, like, absolutely grotesque. Character, yeah, that's grabbing women and making terrible sex jokes. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the movie is like your it, it like knows that it's going to tr- like change a viewer's opinion. Not I, mean, I. I can't speak for everyone. I'm sure there are people out here that are like he is <laughs> to be judged by his actions from minute one of the movie through the entirety of the of the film. But I think that it, it really knowingly introduces him as grotesque to the extreme so that the transformation feels, yeah, feels unexpected but compelling,
1: I would say. And what a smart way to play into the murder mystery element of this it's movie. It's such
3: a, mur- like a whodunit. Right. It's so, that's so...
0: Yes, because as all this is going on, I mean, it, first of all, we, we see that when Kaz is interacting with women on the street or or on the subway or wherever, anytime he's like, you know, just sort of full-blown publicly gazing at their breasts or whatever, or grabbing them, there is this monstrous element that it starts taking him over. We see his teeth suddenly become sharp. We see his, con- his eyes become red through these contacts. And... We're, we're coming to learn that there's something there's something sinister and sexual simultaneously about this character. At the same time, when women are being slain in the street by what is called the Mangler, so it does sort of hinge our expectations upon him being perhaps this uh, this person that is sexually possessed uh, and carrying out these crimes. And it does further elaborate on that when we discover that um, through his uh, his, his acquaintance, the fixer, which is a, sort of like a, like a, like a a potion, like an occult potion salesman on the street sort of tells him, oh, you, you're a Pazatsky, which a Pazatsky and everyone in the movie seems to know what this is, by the way, but a Pazatsky for those who don't know, or don't exist in the realm of this movie is someone who has, um, Kaz, we learn has been cursed, uh, by, um. Uh, a Romanian grandmother when he was uh, flirting with and coming on to her granddaughter. Uh, and this curse is basically that anytime he's aroused, he becomes possessed by a demonic force, which kind of plays it in, interestingly to his character to a degree, I mean, it kind of frames that beginning portion as him being kind of like relatively out of control in his arousal and therefore being overcome by a demon as opposed to when he finds himself in an established and healthy relationship with Denny, uh, which emerges when he can kind of rein in and explore that in a more healthy way. Quote, unquote, I'm giving this movie a good deal more credit than it deserves in that regard. But what do we think about that? I mean, how do, how do we think the Pizatsky arc influences our feelings about Kaz as he and Denny's relationship develops once they've met?
2: I
3: sort of saw, when the grandmother puts the curse on Kaz, it didn't seem like his, you know, 13 year old self was coming on to the other teenage. Like it, that seemed That's kind true, of consensual yeah. and like, oh, like we're going to make out in my living. Like the girl's like, yeah, let's make out in our like I didn't see that as the grandmother like cursing him. Like I sort of saw the like curses like this like demonization of any sort of teenage sexuality, like. Because, mm. pres- like, exhibiting of sexuality, and, like, it's, like, him dealing with, like, having to repress all of that for, like, his <laughs> entire adult life or something. But That's the kind
0: of frustrated, it, they're
1: everywhere! As the, nah. Yeah,
3: like, I didn't see it as, like, the movie presenting a punishment for something that he that he did. I, I see the grandmother I agree, punishing yeah. him, but... I thought it was sort of intentionally presented that the teenagers like making out seemed quite consensual and like kind of like normal or whatever, but that the grandmother catches them and that's what sets off everything. Like, I, I don't know if like I'm articulating the distinction clearly, but I think there was like s- something that like was like, oh, well, like he started off as like a okay kid, I guess.
2: <laughs> it. This for me felt like the turning point of when I started to be like, I don't really care for Denny all that much. Because, you know, at at first you're thinking Kaz is like this scum scoundrel forcing (laughs) himself on women, right? But then what we see is that Den um that Kaz is like I don't want to hurt you. I also don't want to hurt other women because, you know, we're still thinking that he's the mangler. And so Mm. he's like, like, no, please, like, don't do this. Like, I, like, we can be boyfriend, girlfriend as long as it doesn't go anything, like, we don't do anything physical together. And she's like, yeah, that's totally fine. But then, like, kind of forces herself on him and forces him into positions that like are really unfair and he consistently says no and like that was the moment where i was like i don't actually like her like that's crazy
0: Sam, I'm with you on that big time. There's definitely like a a strange inversion of our expectations where Denny now having well, I mean, they meet, you know, they have this hilarious uh, fruit burger situation that becomes kind of his affectionate pet name for her as their relationship develops because he initially meets her as he rises out of a pile of garbage and she's eating a veggie burger and he's disgusted by it and this whole thing. But yeah, as their relationship develops, it really does feel as though she's the one pressuring him into physical intimacy at a time when he's trying to be very clear, not only that like, hey, I'm a Pazotsky, I'll turn into a monster, but is also saying like, I'm uncomfortable with this, which is important.
1: I feel like that adds to the movie's credit of subversion in some way. Like, I feel like that's less of a, for me, it didn't feel like a condemnation of her character, but just subverting, you know, subverting different tropes that we see in romantic or other kind of movies.
0: Yeah, it is an inversion of, like, you know, a very um, unfortunate patriarchal reality in that sense. But also, those things happen, so either way, you know. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that becomes an interesting dynamic, especially as uh, as it concerns what happens to Kaz, because as she continues pressuring him into it, uh, he as Sam, you mentioned earlier on, transforms into different demons. And we see a variety of different demon effects, all of which are pretty incredibly captured by, I assume, the effects team of Nightmare on Elm Street. It was early into New Line Cinemas. It was probably a lot of the same team. And they were known for at least early into their uh, their development before the, the the commercialization of CG and the, the advantages that pro- afforded these kind of movies was so heavily reliant on practical effect. And we get so much of that on display here from Kaz's makeup when he transforms from one to another demon, and even the transitions themselves when they're they're becoming physically intimate, and we see like Kaz's uh, vertebrae like jutting out in like on an angle against his back through his skin, and his head becomes bulbous, and all these crazy, crazy effects that really make this movie kind of simultaneously, you know, a subversive rom com, but also a pretty great kind of like horror comedy. I would say that's especially pronounced in in the evolution of their intimacy, because at first we we see them going at it, kind of like starting to get intimate and like Kaz's ear gets sucked into his head. Um, after that, they, they decide like, okay, well, this is a situation, let's give it a try. And he becomes this sort of like weird, like pudgy, kind of like a very fleshy kind of demon. <laughs> Um, who's like howling like a dog? In the next one, he becomes this full-blown like Satan figure with horns and wings. Uh, during the that wings whole sequence, were
3: my favorite iteration.
0: Oh yeah, and we'll come back to those especially because the wings are so dainty and small. Well,
3: um, also, uh, about that transformation, Connor had mentioned that there's like this detective uh, murder mystery element to the movie, and you're, you keep thinking if it's Kaz. Right. And the mangler. The character yes. character who is mangled and you see a flashback of something they experienced. It was Sonia's sister. You see yeah. what she like immediately visualizes. And it's very similar, similar to one of his demon transformations. So you're like, Ooh, maybe it is him because what she remembered was kind of like a horned demon version. And that's what he transforms. So it Sustains that suspense of whether or not he was actually the Mangler. So it's nice to see a lot of different iterations.
0: And it's probably important to talk about the Mangler now. So the Mangler is uh, is this person stalking the streets? He's killing uh, women, um, seemingly as as the survivor Christine, as you just said, explains. He's he's sort of like um what were their words? Is like oh, like a wild animal, like these claws and these horns. Um, so we immediately associated to, with Kaz. And the big reveal at the end really makes it pretty insane in that regard. So we also meet a character early on when uh, Sonia and Denny are at the bar and they meet a character called Charles, who is basically, the script assigns kind of a dork. Like he walks around, he's constantly congested. He's wearing glasses, he's balding. He can't seem to hit it off with any woman. And just seems like, it's really kind of prescient of this movie. He seems like one of those, like 1980s buffoon characters who is like one of those men who is, so romantically and socially inept that they're harmless, when in reality, oftentimes they can be the the you know the quote unquote nice guy can often be a real predator, and that winds up very much being the case with Charles when we discover in the end that ultimately he was the one that was the mangler the whole time.
1: I think it's so great how hard this movie hits on him being like buffoonish, him mm-hmm. being incompetent, him hitting on every He's single like, person. Yeah. Yeah, a, a hopeless, I guess the movie pits him as a hopeless romantic, but then we keep focusing on him calling Denny he in keeps the phone coming up. booth. He every, he keeps coming up, and I think it's like a little obvious, his turn, to be a bad guy. I didn't see it coming the first time, I will say. But was, every time since I've been like that it makes sense. <laughs>
3: I was convinced that it was the, uh, the chief detective.
0: Oh, that, I was yeah, like, yeah guy is in the bag. Yeah, he's got a detective. this
3: demon energy in him. <laughs> I thought he was. Good. It's like, oh, he's like technically leading the case, but he's probably, you know, intentionally uh, hiding clues.
2: <laughs> this, this like character is such an interesting choice, too, because so this movie came out, what, in 87? hmm. So. 10 years prior to this was like the the reign of son of sam and so like for me like as i was watching this I, i had just watched that netflix documentary about the sons of sam anyway so you know this is probably still very much like in the forefront of people's mind because like that was a really big thing that happened and you know it was it would went on a lot longer than just like 77 because there are there were all these things in the news and so like what an interesting thing to do that. That also was kind of like subversive of like t- taking a figure that is like tormented women in New York City for so like for I mean, it was actually only what, like a couple of months like less than a year but like still like significant enough to make such an impact um to just like create a funny character about this like charles and then like the actual way that he is the mangler is through like a fucking glove I, i can't take it it's so funny
0: okay so yeah before we return to the that reveal i mean we again we see um we see uh, Denny and Kaz taking a genuine shot at this, but Kaz is still apprehensive because he feels that you know, I, I have these kind of like blackouts where I become a demon and I'm not sure if I'm killing women. But you know, at one point, they become intimate to the point that, um, you know, he is fully possessed by the demon. At this point, we have like a very like, uh, like poltergeisty kind of vibe where like things are flying around the room. Denny's getting really like worked up and like trying to figure this out, but she still wants to see it through because she still wants them to have that kind of intimacy and it, it, it goes on to the point that kaz and this is an amazing sequence kaz uh runs into a brick wall his head is pushed down into his shoulders a great practical effect um and then as denny is screaming he reaches down into his his like neck cavity and pulls out a head that is to a t lloyd christmas jim carrey's character in dumb and dumber <laughs> Like spot on to the point that I'm convinced now that the Fairley brothers definitely
1: saw this movie. And and how did they? There's just a great practical effect. Is you know that how do they do it? It feels like yeah. Like you can see a shot
0: where like they pull like a rubber head, like a mask of this actor out of his out of the neck, and then it cuts to Denny, and then cuts back to the action where it's this the actor who looks like this. But then that guy also goes into the kitchen and he becomes Denny's mother who's criticizing her for never settling down. And then in Denny's frustration, she like shoves this mother, again, this is all Kaz as a demon, but shoves her mother against the wall and thrusts her hands at her face to the point that it caves in instantly, like as though it's like a a vase, just caves in this character's face and all this goo falls all over. Like it reminds me of like the Ash reveal from Alien where it's just that shocking when that happens.
1: And then also you have the tentacle, like the tentacle moment. Which is absolutely,
0: exactly. It's borrowed exactly from the thing. Yeah,
1: But also it's it's
0: screaming, rather than like a monster noise, it's an elephant noise very clearly. It's the strangest, most beautiful thing. It's a wonderful sequence. It's really great. Um, So, I mean, all this leads us to uh, basically where the movie's heading. Uh, You know, Sonya... Uh, in her concern, both for her sister and avenging, you know, her trauma, but also protecting Denny, suspects that Kaz is in fact the Mangler. So she calls uh, Denny to go uh, to go meet her somewhere. While while uh, Sonia is actually hanging out with Charles um, because she's kind of taking pity on him and giving him like notes on how to how to be better at approaching women. So Denny runs out and is abducted by Charles while Sonia goes into the apartment and tries to confront. Uh, Kaz, convinced that he's the mangler and a demon with this demon sword because her sister happens to own an occult shop that has a demon sword. Um, So she's trying to attack him, uh, but they both spot that Denny's being abducted by Charles and they give chase and jump on top of his car into an action sequence. So this movie starts as a thriller, like a, a stalker, a paranormal stalker movie. Or slasher movie becomes a rom com, and then in its last third becomes a full on action movie, which I'm looking forward to, to analyzing a little bit further.
1: How did this movie, with like a three and a half million dollar budget, block off what seems like blocks of New York City? A lot of Or New this York. chase scene, a lot. I mean, so Venom, which is a movie <laughs> I enjoy, only blocked off like a few blocks of San Francisco and just repeated like kind of action scenes after action scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This movie feels like so much more cinematic than a lot of modern movie. I don't know. It was just like,
0: it's not quite the the wild west of New York shooting that it was with like, say like the French connection or something, mm-hmm. but it still feels like they got away with an awful lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, I mean, we get this great sequence where uh there both Sonia and Kaz are on top of Charles's car as he's driving Denny somewhere and, um, the police uh, happen to be nearby. They're they're arresting the fixer, um, who again has basically been this character who's told um, told Kaz about his curse and everything. Uh, so they all give chase and they're all going towards Central Park and uh, toward this castle that is in Central Park. Which the first time I saw this movie was like, wait, what? But that's actually a thing. That castle exists in Central Park.
3: In that iteration, or like that. No, that's wait, really. That- that's really?
0: literally a castle in Central Park, or not a castle, quote unquote, but it's that building in Central Park. That building exists in that location.
3: But once they're inside of it, it's a built set.
0: I think a lot of that is, yeah. I
3: think all of that.
0: But that exists there, I mean, at least as far as the exterior, which looks like it's something from Young Frankenstein, but that's something that's actually in
1: Central Park. Well, and what's great is that it feels like it appears out of nowhere. Yes, Like it didn't exist. And then all of a sudden here it is,
0: especially because hilariously as uh, you know, as Charles, as we're coming to know him as the mangler after he's abducted Denny uh, and, you know, Kaz and, um, and are on top of his car, he's flooring it toward, uh, toward this castle, but you know, is flooring it unbeknownst to him because of his distraction toward a lake. And there's this great, we'll be here in a sec. Whoa. And then just smashes into the lake. Uh, At this point, you know Denny and um, the Charles are. He's whisking her away to the castle, still unconscious. But Sonya is still convinced that Kaz is the demon, so she tries to attack him with the sword and realizes, of course, that he's not. um, That he's a Pizotsky and not a genuine demon. I don't know the rules on all that, but he's not harmed or killed by it.
3: What's great is that like Sonya has like psychic powers, and like I feel like the movie never quite explains why or really does much of anything with it. But I think it's just another detail that uh, supports this universe that that's like, Oh yeah, of course there are demons as well as people with psychic powers who can read people's minds and thoughts. And I think if maybe if it explained more of how Sonya got that power it would, the believability would lessen. Like it's just an implied, understood element of her character, unless I missed something and it explains why she can read people's minds.
0: No, it's not explained.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a wonderful facet of her character and is just left at that by the end of the movie.
1: I think it just adds to the magicalness of yeah, this movie. Yeah, to
3: the universe, to the like, yeah.
1: I will say I
0: do have my problems with that uh, in this movie and in this universe, where Sonia and the Fixer are, are I don't know. It, it 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 feels to me very much like the you know the magically endowed person of color kind of trope, I, which this movie does do.
3: Yeah, the, with the Fixer, it was definitely leaning into that that trope and that stereotype. Um, but you bring it up with Sonia and. I can see that evaluate. Yeah. Um, I can see the problematic aspects of that. Can I, yeah. Can I, I think I, I, enjoyed her as a, like, she was a like a fun character to watch, but I can see some elements of her character being dated. <laughs> yeah.
2: Can I also say that, um, the fixer ends up getting arrested for what's it vagrancy
0: vagrancy yeah. which is in, like in 1987
2: and and that's so i mean you know it's uncomfortable because that's what happened right and like that's how we have not to like get into this but like that's how we the whole have history like,
0: of incarceration yeah and trumped the up time. and Wall- so me, like
2: yeah. is it is it poking fun at that? Is it like trying to draw attention or is it like not thinking about that whatsoever? It is not on its radar. And it's just like something that they threw in there. I don't, I have no idea what the answer is, but it's certainly something that like gave me pause and made me think like, maybe this movie is smart in some ways. and I, I think that it is in some ways, but
1: I think I that's what makes some of my favorite movies is like, is it smart? doesn't know like those questions of you're like, are you doing this fully intentionally or is it just all an accident? Or maybe it's just the, the benefit
0: of, or maybe it's applying or giving the film benefit of the doubt after so many years and seeing something in it that perhaps wasn't there, but yeah, there's a lot to unpack with all that. That's oh, but- what
1: ties in. One of my favorite characters is this, this officer who is like oh Mr. Obvious.
0: The, the Mel Brooks character for no reason. Like, yeah. there
1: is no way that this detective, this officer exists in a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely, it's definitely stealing like
0: Mel Brooks jokes. Like it's the kind of thing where like a character, when Denny has been whisked up into the castle by Charles, who we now know as the mangler. They're, they have the barricade and they're trying to break the door down and like obviously it doesn't work. And that policeman offers, it's locked. Or like the sharpshooter arrives and like, it's like, hey, I'm the sharpshooter. And the chief is like, oh, great. that's," And then that police officer again cuts him off. It's like, sharpshooter's here, sir. Which is just obviously Mel Brooks jokes.
1: And what perfect timing, like the exact number of seconds that that actor needed to like deliver that line. Like it's Hmm. just comedic gold.
0: And we also have the sharpshooter who can't climb the tree to get a good vantage point. There's, there's definitely, this movie goes full tilt in its last third.
3: And Charles, the, the, like also is leaning. I mean, he's been,
0: Oh my gosh. I can't wait for the line.
3: But also like extremely funny. The whole movie too. Mm -hmm. Like his calls to Denny are extremely unsettling. Like I'm here, let's go to dinner. I'm outside your house. Like all of the worst things. A character could say, but like the actor who plays Charles has this sort of fast paced energy that feels kind of Mel Brooksy as well. And in a line that I texted to to the group, he's like carrying her into the castle and she's like, Who do you think you are? And then he's like, I'm the mangler. like obviously
0: it's the best delivery in the whole movie which is it like without Wait, missing who do you a think beat? you are and he just
1: i'm the mangler <laughs> he is so fucking earnest he's great <laughs> in everything when he like this is my laboratory this like oh man i it's hard to say how much i love this movie and Charles's. <laughs> He's a big Um, part of it, right? He's a huge part of it. As someone who could be a throwaway, like 80s nerdy character who is given this whole other life in the third act.
3: Like comic villain. Yeah, now that you guys brought up Mel Brooks, I'm like, this is definitely like a comic villain from Mel Brooks movie.
0: And so, yeah, to round us out, I mean, the police can't get into the castle. He's got Denny up there. He's threatening them with uh, TNT um so someone's got to get up there and hey sonia knows that uh because of his transformations that kaz can grow wings so she's like listen grow your wings like i don't understand the problem you can be a demon you can fly up there right now go rescue her and he's like well i can't i've you know it's i'm a pesaski i've got to be in the mood there's got to be curves and there's got to be you know." mood and i've got to be you know sexual and then she has one of my other favorite lines in the movie which is just uh, you mean sex well why didn't you say so you just hit the mother load baby and then throws him down in the
1: reeds and they start banging while all the police are watching <laughs> and they just roll forever <laughs> yeah. It's like such a long sequence of, like implied rolling down the hill till you get to the cattails that are at the river,
0: which is another classic Mel Brooks roll in the hay. You know, it's all there. Uh, but this causes him because of his his uh, his sexual fling with uh, is you know necessary apparently sexual fling with um with Sonia causes him to grow the wings such that he can fly up to the castle. Uh, this is a really great scene for me too because. Uh, yeah, obviously the wings, Connor. As you're mimicking, are very small wings as far as practical effects, but it's able to carry him all the way up to this castle. When he gets there, uh, Denny starts arguing with him because she oversaw him uh, in th- in the throes with Sonya, even though that got him up there, which is a scene that I really love because meanwhile Charles or the Mangler is like desperately trying to light the the TNT with this uh with this Zippo lighter as they're arguing and the Zippo's not working just extending the scene and the humor of it. but then it's revealed that uh Charles the mangler is actually perhaps the devil like the actual devil. Uh, he transforms into this horn thing that we understand is like, oh that's we've been mistaken the whole time. obviously Kaz isn't the mangler. it's it's uh, this this horrifying beast that Charles is. Uh, and they kind of square off for a little bit and then ultimately it's the fixer who has uh, the saber, the little sword that Sonya has that's specifically designed to kill demons uh, and tosses it to to Kaz and he stabs uh, Charles or the mangler, causing the mangler to explode. Uh, And at this point, the situation is resolved to the point that the police, now having made their way up into the tower, the police chief literally says, well, Another day in the big city. And
1: then they all leave. Can I just mention how much I love that the fixer, Sonia, all these other characters walked through the castle with them. <laughs> yes, like this is just ridiculous to the best way possible. so
2: Sonya and we all being dragged in by the police team.
0: <laughs> and we also have a great moment where when Kaz, uh, gets the dynamite from the mangler. He throws it off the roof, intending to throw it into a lake, but it blows up like seven cop cars. So we have like a Cannon films explosion kind of thing going on, very 80s. So anyway, all this happens and uh, and then Kaz is kind of magically transformed. And the way that they express that is he just, there's this like flicker of like glimmering light. And then suddenly he's wearing just a different shirt and has better hair, which means that he's cured. But what the Fixer has told him and cautioned him about before is that the only way he can break the Pazotsky spell, the only way that he can free himself from this demonic possession based on arousal and have a non-demon based relationship with Denny is if he does something noble, which he does at the end. He, you know, he he saves everyone by by killing the Mangler and rescuing Denny. But the fixer stresses that, you know, when you do this, you you'll do something noble and the curse will be lifted from you, but it will be transposed onto the person that you're closest to. So the whole time he assumes that to be Denny. So when he and Denny get to the bottom of the castle, after all the tension is diffused, it's like, well, now we can be in a relationship. Isn't this great? But he's like, wait a minute, the fixer told me this. And you're the person that I feel closest to. So let me give you this big smooch. And he does so, and she doesn't transform. So it's like, oh, we're both off the hook. I guess it's fine. We then learn that apparently it's literally the person closest to him, which was the Fixer at the time that he slayed the Mangler. So then the Fixer is a a Pazatsky now and chases after a female police officer. His horns grow out of his head and his eyes glow red.
1: I've mentioned before that I'm a sucker for prophecy and like Ah. self-fulfilling prophecies in films. This was fucking hilarious. (laughs) Of like, You know, we all as the audience assuming with Kaz that the closest being like emotionally closest, but no. And I was like, it's so prolonged, the fixer hugs him. It's uncomfortably Mm -hmm. long and like kind of weird that it fixes, that it fixates, that the camera fixates on this. It's like, oh, that's why, because he becomes then the demon again.
0: And the movie sets us up for those expectations either way. When we're first told by the Fixer that it will go to the person that's closest to him, he stares over and looks at Denny. But in this instance at the end, yeah, literally he's like giving up a bear hug for like 30 or so seconds, which is when the the curse transfers to him.
2: God, the Fixer can't catch a break. But the Fixer also says at one moment, like, this is when I knew. He was like, I'm closest to him. Right. When he's like falling over. And my roommate and I we were both like, oh, no. <laughs> oh,
3: so you saw it. I did not see yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's there. The, there. The and
1: car- the, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit cartoon effects of the 80s, like, late 80s, especially when Charles, like, dissolves into demon matter and the horns grow on the Fixer, like, mm-hmm. very funny.
3: I was very confused by the outfit that Kaz transforms back into. So he's in the raggedy red jacket for most of the movie. And then he's suddenly like in a prom tuxedo. Like a It's red literally that's my
0: notes. It's a prom tuxedo. And a
3: roughly 80s uh shirt, and his hair is nicely like blown back. And it made me think like it sort of confused the timeline of the curse. It raised a lot of questions about what state he was being returned back to. Like, is he like 18 and he just graduated and went to prom? (laughs) And then is that a weird element? But then I was like, you know, it's just for effect so that the viewer recognizes he's changed. And I was like, this ending is very like Beauty and the Beast, but like 80s -hmm. Beauty and the Beast. And then I was like when did the 80s Beauty and the Beast come out with Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton? And it came out in 1987. This show Uh was, the Beast lived in the tunnels of New York and Mm -hmm. then Linda Hamilton falls in love with him. And I was like, oh, like this makes a lot of sense because that show is fucking weird and this movie is fucking weird. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) like there was something about 1987 and like, interesting relationships between like people living in the tunnels of New York and like women just falling in love with them. But, um, yeah, I I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing that both of these stories came out in 87. Yeah. And I mean,
0: I mean, that is, that is in essence, might even lover. I mean, at the end, you know, he and Denny are in a relationship, as we see. You know, it's a nice, nice moment where they go back to the apartment. He again calls her Fruit Burger, his affectionate name for her. Um, and then as they go back to the apartment and they pull down the shades and we get, once again, uh, let go by intimate strangers. And so on. So a strange... A strange package. I mean, I do think that though this movie is really hilarious a lot of the time, and for most, for the most part, intentionally, uh, and occasionally unintentionally, there are some really lame jokes that, that that really fall by the wayside. Like when they're on top of the car and they're careening toward um, Central Park, Kaz has the line, "I just remembered I've got an appointment," which is like such a throwaway comedy line that could fit any context and doesn't really matter. There's another one where. Um, when he's facing the Mangler now in like his full demonic state, uh, Kaz is getting his hands stomped on by uh, the Mangler's like clawed feet, which aren't wearing shoes. And of course, Kaz has the lines, "Nice shoes, are they Italian?" Which is like, how do you not write like nice pedicure? Like it's so easy to fix this joke, but they just didn't. In twenty
1: twenty one, for me, that just elevates it. It kind of does. I laughed.
2: I laughed. Well, and
1: that whole last scene takes place. And what I assume is a set with this cool map painting, map painting on the bottom. Yeah. Like they don't enter the castle again. They're just fighting on the parapets on the ceiling, you know, on the roof line. And they just never go inside. They can, but they never do because this is the set that they have. Yeah.
3: I did look up, it's Belvedere Castle in Central Park. Yes. But like there's, I look, it's definitely much smaller than what they show in the movies but like or in the movie but that is hilarious that it would be it's so wonderful that this character Charlie just lit, like, lives in that castle in the middle where he I'm has like, his oh,
0: laboratory and TNT
3: Yeah, we're going back to my my pad.
0: <laughs> I'm the mangler. Well, and how by the, the man- way, watch this movie
1: if just for that delivery you will be satisfied. I promise. Well, and there's we in the wedding planner we talked about some like funny you know physical comedic moments when charles who's the mangler takes you know her back to his castle throws the glove or whatever like misses the can hangs his jacket it doesn't hang on the armored knight like the, the, uh, the coat hook there's so many great moments of just very small moments of physical comedy that just add up over the course of the runtime and also just the
0: confusion that charles is abducting these women with this monster glove. That he then discards before revealing himself to be an actual monster.
1: <laughs> with a great costume and a great prosthetic with these weird skull eye contact, like skulls mm-hmm. as his contacts. And like, yeah, it just again, feels straight out of effect. Doom. And Doom came out years later, but it just feels straight out of Doom.
0: Yeah, that's about right. I mean, all the creature effects are so... Uh, so, so very 1980s, and again, so prescient, Connor of like what would come in the 90s, like Doom and, and other other properties. But also just like some really great 80s prosthetics and some really great creature effects. And that, of course, being a Bob shape production, you know, he was used behind Nightmare along with Wes Craven. He was on board for all of the subsequent sequels and really championed things like uh, like Terminator. So this was a guy who was really special effects interested, despite being a producer.
1: This made me appreciate New Line
0: even more. It's a great catalog of of early movies before they, they really kind of hit their stride with things like, in a modern sense, like Lord of the Rings and stuff. They were kind of the champions of like well-executed, campy horror practical effects. Uh, and that is my demon lover. Uh, again, you know, romance, a genre that I'm, I'm not normally drawn to unless it's something like, I don't know, like say like Blue Valentine, which is just you know a, a look at like you know, a, a fledgling relationship contrasted with how it crumbles. So I, I tend to be drawn in to in like a
3: very different Yeah, place. Yeah.
0: And so I mean, like, yeah, romance really doesn't usually do it for me because I, I find the conventions to be and, and their trappings to be a little too cliched for the most part, but there have been exceptions that we've discussed this month, and I think my demon lover may be one of them even though it might not be everyone's first thought when it comes to romantic movies. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk about uh, because I, I consider this movie to be the final element in the, at least our household trifecta of untouched gems of the era, that being Quiet Cool, of course, which we've discussed, uh, I Come in Peace, which we've covered, and now finally My Demon Lover, the trifecta, my my trilogy of wonderful underrepresented and undiscussed movies. So I'm really happy we got to cover it. Does anyone have any final thoughts as you round out My Demon Lover as concerns the movie and as concerns uh, its romantic
1: elements? What other movies do you have to talk about, Dave, now? now that we've covered all three?
0: I'm so happy to have covered all three of those. I don't know what to do now as far as these kinds of movies because these are the gold standard for me. So uh, you may not get a lot more uh, camp from me. Things might things might be a little more stern or serious from now on because now that I've gotten this out of my system, I'm ready to tackle some other content.
2: We know famously how much I dislike comedy. Um, <laughs> yes. People who are listening, I definitely recommend watching this just so you know i i bought this movie on amazon because did you I nice like, i was like this movie is hysterical and i'm gonna go back to it so like this is this is a winner it really is
3: great i also love the title because it suggests like i can imagine denny like writing in her diary and this is the chapter my
1: demon lover <laughs>
3: <laughs> the uh the episode within the episodes of her life
1: mm-hmm and this feels like a movie you could show almost anybody, and they would enjoy some of, if not most, or all of it.
0: I think so. I think there's definitely something in the mix for everybody of all of a of, of, of variety of tastes for this movie.
1: I was waiting at the very end of the movie because they pull one curtain sheet down in her in denny's apartment and then kaz pulls the other one down i was waiting for that mel brooks moment where it comes back up and he tries to pull it down and it comes back up that would have been nice yeah but a wholehearted recommendation and i feel like i say this a lot but why i love doing this podcast is learning about movies and watching movies that i would never have watched otherwise
0: yeah, this is one that was among the 350 VHS tapes that we have on our shelves that uh, at the beginning of quarantine last year, a little before this time last year, my housemate and I looked at it and we're like, I don't think we've ever seen this. And then just popped it in at maybe like 10.30 at night. And then we're laughing until like maybe two o'clock in the morning about it. So again, I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's truly top tier, campy 80s action slash rom-com slash slasher um it can be found on youtube that's where i got it it cost me 5 bucks and it's worth every penny although it does have some audio issues so i would suggest maybe having a look at amazon first even though that's against my better judgment um but you know either way uh find this movie watch it you have to you owe it to yourself to see it um we're going to be continuing the theme of romance next week that with of course connor's pick which i'm really looking forward to so we're going to be diving into um into our romance theme and really rounding things out uh, as we continue. But before that, uh, of course, we're really thankful to be part of the Movie John Podcast Network. Uh, you can find other really great shows through them, uh, all of which uh, Philadelphia-based and all of which movie-based. So definitely worth your time and definitely worth a few minutes uh, to at, at the very least check out and peruse the catalog of. Uh, do Before we round out the episode, does anyone else have anything they'd like to add? Of course, send us an email, uh, that ad. Butter with that one at gmail.com. Is that wrong? Butter with that podcast at gmail.com. Butter hey, with that one is there. Yeah, 120
1: on plus episodes and you get it wrong.
0: I'm going to uh, get, yeah, you know, I don't send emails, come on. But you can but, find us through plenty of social media accounts and butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. And you should send us a message because Connor hasn't got one in a while and I know he's looking forward to them. Please watch, my demon lover. Please do it. <laughs> Please do. And please join us next week. Uh, Of course, uh, thank you so much for listening. And um, as we're so fond of saying on this podcast, have a great whatever. And I'm the mangler.